Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through candid conversations about cyber issues. Sponsored by Agency, with your host, Kath Nibbs. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. Today, I'm joined by Gary Wilson, who runs the website yourbrainonporn.com. He's also the author of the book of the same title, which I believe has recently been uh, updated. Yes, it has. Okay. So uh, if you're going to go out and get a, um, a version of the book, it would be the new one. So what, what's the difference, Gary, between the books? Um, in the old book and the new book? Yeah, yeah. Well, the new book, uh, I, you know, whenever you do something a second time, you just make it better because you may not like the way it's completely organized. But also, I decided to do a new book because so much research had come out in the last three and a half years since I did it that I wanted to put it in there. So that was a big motivation for doing it. Yeah, yeah. So um, for our listeners, um, I'm going to ask the question that I've asked of um, other people who've appeared on the, the podcast. So what, why do you do what you do, um, which involves obviously running the website, which is uh, a plethora of uh, research and uh, videos and information. So Go ahead. Well, one thing I need to get out of the way because it's often in people's minds is I'm not religious. I'm an atheist and I'm very liberal. So that wasn't the motivation. The motivation was due to something that occurred on my wife's website in 2006. My wife's website had nothing to do with porn. It was about relationships and it had articles, lots of articles on there on the neurobiology of falling in love, of sex. Uh, and in that, it had key words such as dopamine, ejaculation, addiction, the reward yeah. system. And guys start showing up on our website for some reason and said, hey, we think that porn's causing problems, especially sexual problems. Uh, what are your thoughts? And my wife is like, what are you doing here? Well, evidently, Google then uh, archived their posts and more showed up and more showed up. Over the next three or four years, it basically became a locker room where these guys were discussing healing from chronic sexual problems induced by porn, like yeah. ED, the inability to orgasm, uh, escalation to odd porn, and disinterest in real partners. And there was a gap at that point between what was really happening out there to men and sometimes women mm -hmm. and the information provided by experts in the media. So we felt compelled to create a website. So in early 2011, I created yourbrainonporn.com with information, with recovery stories. And I thought that would be it. Well, that exploded in popularity. Then I was asked to do a TED Talk, and that exploded in popularity. So everything just sort of snowballed from this early event of just trying to get the word out because yeah. some of these men were suicidal, and they thought they were ruined for life, and we wanted to just help them. So that's yeah. the short story. Okay, okay. So um, I'm just thinking for listeners over, um, uh, particularly here in the UK where, where I'm based, um, I believe you used to teach uh, anatomy and physiology as well. So uh, your, your interest in this will, will obviously be underpinned by a, a complete understanding about dopamine, the reward circuits, and why, why this kind of um, pleasure-seeking behavior is, um, let, let me put it this way, very different to the, the kind of addiction behaviors that um, I'm currently embarked in uh, uh, arguments around, around social media. So the, the idea of online pornography addiction is very different to, for example, social media. Um, uh, and, and obviously, we've now got gaming disorder, which is going to be coming out, um, which is, is being used under the same 
the same discipline, but for me it's very, very different. And my understanding is it's more to do with how the brain actually works when you um, when you have like the, the physical ejaculation for men and an orgasm for women. So I'm going to disagree with you there. So I see uh, video game addiction as a real thing. On my site, I have 260 brain studies on video gamers. And the, the findings of all those studies match the findings in those with drug addiction. So there are absolute similarities between mm -hmm. all real addictions. I think the problem arises, and maybe this is you're alluding to, is how do you actually assess a real addiction as opposed to just lots of use? And those are different things. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there are similarities in all addictions because for anything to be rewarding, you have to have dopamine released in the part of the brain called the reward center or nucleus accumbens. So yeah. whether it's cocaine or whether it's meth or whether it's playing video games or whether it's watching porn, all of them release dopamine in this one place. And you cannot, something cannot be addictive unless it releases dopamine in this one place. So that's sort mm -hmm. of the beginning of all addiction. So you're not addicted to cocaine you're addicted to the levels of dopamine and norepinephrine it releases when you take it. Yeah. So you're actually addicted to your own neurochemicals. So, but to answer your question, there are differences. When you do uh, studies on rats and you look at other natural rewards like junk food or uh, falling in love, if you can fall in love if you're a, a rat, what you find is that the nerve cells that get activated for other natural rewards are different than those that get activated for sex. In fact, the nerve cells in the reward system that get activated for sexual activity are the exact same ones that get activated for cocaine, meth, and heroin. And yeah. they also, once you take cocaine and heroin, the same brain changes, not addiction, but the same immediate brain changes that occur for all those are the same brain changes that occur when you have sex and you have an orgasm. So there are yeah. definite neurological differences. And yeah. to speak on another level, there's no innate circuits for video games or shooting people or clicking on little likes. There are massive parts of the brain that are devoted to sexuality, sexual arousal, and reproduction. And those same parts of the brain can be hijacked by internet porn. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So that we do. Yeah. Let's let's sit. So I don't veer off onto the gaming disorder debate because that's that's still coming up on, on other people. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm sure we will have more more to converse on that um, because one of the, the uh, um, overlapping issues I'm finding is the attachment circuits uh, are where I find that that's where people are playing games with their friends rather than playing games to be be, be addicted. Does that make sense? So, right. And so there was a study that uh, looked at, you know, they do these criteria and there's so many different criteria for gaming addiction. And they had a group and they had these gamers that were professional gamers and they gained just as much as those who were addicted. But it was the negative consequences associated with the gaming, yeah. not the hours of use. And so that's yeah. something that yeah. occurs with many of the Internet addiction studies is they're not finding uh, hours of use directly related to addiction, but many of the negative effects of use. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, and I, I, um, I think I discussed that in in my book. The f- one of the first ever negative um, issues was uh, a child turned up in therapy with scratches down the side of their face, and it had been in a disagreement and argument over whether they could play on their iPad or not, and it had, it had actually resulted in um, fisticuffs between the child and the parent. So, um, yeah. However, uh, as I said, I don't. I'm I'm trying not to go off on the the gaming disorder. Um, thing today because I want to talk to you really um, about your specialism which is this online pornography addiction and okay. the the issues that it's presenting so obviously um, I had a quick chat just before we started recording tonight I'm I'm seeing a huge increase and much of my practice at the moment is um, at, at, let me say full of children who are under the age of 10 who have witnessed and, and looked at pornography uh, then there's the adolescents who have also looked at it and uh, kind of the, the stuff that I've seen on your website is more about kind of the, the older people who end up with uh, erectile dysfunction, who can't ejaculate, who are having problems even um, producing an erection in, the, in their real life relationship. So I, I thought I'd just open it up and let you kind of go for it and, and I'll ask questions as we go along. Well, yeah, a lot of the stories. So what we've collected is many recovery stories, and many of them, almost all of them are men, though there are some women, and most of them are guys who decide to quit. And, of course, what was the motivation to quit? Well, the motivation was they couldn't get excited with a real partner. They had ED. Now, many of these men were in their 20s, and they described starting on Internet porn, age 9, age 10, age 11, Mm-hmm. And that was back in the day before you had streaming porn. So really, yeah. in 2006, everything changed. So I don't see porn as one entity. I see internet porn with the tube sites being invented in 2006 as the real game changer. Yeah. And that's where the guys yeah. describe, oh, I can just put up hardcore material. I can put up 20 tabs, two minutes each, and just click from video to video, often not finishing the video. And, and I need to find just the right video to ejaculate with. And this is borne out in men who are in their 50s who describe, man, I've been you know, using magazines, sometimes VHS tapes, but it wasn't until I started using the tube sites that I started to have sexual dysfunctions mm-hmm. that kicked mm-hmm. in maybe a year after using. So yeah. that tells us that it's different. The tube sites are different in how they train the brain to need that level of novelty and stimulation in order to be aroused. Yeah. Uh, it, well, absolutely. It's, it's, um, and that's one of the things about the brain, isn't it? Is it goes seeking novelty. And when, when, when it does come across novelty, um, it, it gets to us, let me say, I think my understanding of this is it gets to a stage where it becomes saturated or habituated is, is the kind of neuroscience term that we use, isn't it? And then, that there needs to be something more stimulating. So for what you're talking about is a number of tabs and then those tabs will become literally background music and won't have the (laughs) same desired effect. Yeah, and so when you look at internet porn, uh, habituation leads to escalation. And so escalation would be Back in the old day, I could just look at one picture of a centerfold, masturbate to it, and that'd be the day. Then the tube sites come around and the guy says, well, I need to watch videos. I need to watch real people having real sex, maybe orgies, maybe God knows what. Then I need to have a bunch of short clips. Then regular porn, whatever that is for that person, isn't enough. I need to escalate into harder genres. 
maybe orgies, maybe incest porn, which is becoming very, very popular, maybe may into teen porn, which is the most searched term. And so I need something that is more arousing, more novel. Maybe I need something that's more shocking or anxiety inducing because shock and surprise, like riding a roller coaster, increases dopamine, which can, yeah. can increase arousal. Anxiety actually, under many circumstances, can increase arousal through dopamine and increasing cortisol. Cortisol increases dopamine and arousal. So they're looking for shocking material, anxiety producing material, things they've never seen before. And what is different since 2006 is you can escalate from genre to genre while masturbating. Couldn't do that before. So all of a sudden you start on lesbian porn and an hour later you're into gangbangs and that's what you ejaculate to, orgasm to, and that reinforces that arousal template to gangbang now. Absolutely. I, I'm just thinking of the, the kind of terminology that I sometimes use, um, it, not, not so much just with clients, but with um, so that a couple of uh, psychosexual uh, therapists that I talked to. I think last year I was talking about um, a new trend that I was reading about, about prolapsing and that being a new genre of porn and, and kind of the, yeah. where, where we're actually heading as a, a species at the moment sometimes worries me. But also I'm, I'm really kind of intrigued with this um, 20, 30 tabs open. Actually, it's much easier to click with one hand and masturbate with another than it used to be to try and hold a magazine or fast forward and rewind and pause on a, a, an old VHS tape. Um, which obviously shows my age being fairly equivalent <laughs> to yours, I think, that we're, we're talking about this, this system that's much, much faster. So the, the kind of feedback will be a lot faster as well. Yes. I mean, so, what are, so think about it. So if you've got yourself, like you described, a 10-year-old, and they start watching porn, and maybe they can finally orgasm by age 11 or 12, mm. and they do that for six years before they even have their first kiss, that means every day they're training their arousal template to everything associated with their porn use. And, of course, the first one is having to be a voyeur, having to watch someone else have sex. And the other, of course, yeah. is continually searching and seeking. And searching and seeking also raises dopamine in the reward system. And, of course, mm -hmm. the novelty, the surprise. So, so they're ending up uh, training their brain for the wrong sport, in essence. It's like you know, shooting baskets to try to learn how to play golf. So once they get with a real person, it doesn't match up with, uh, you know, the internet porn use. They can't click to another person once they get bored after two minutes with their girlfriend. Yeah. So that's when the problems arise and when they start looking for answers. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, as, as you're talking, my, um, so I never have set questions for these. Um, I, I've noticed that I just tend to go off on a tangent, which I'm about to do, that one Excellent. of the things I'm noticing with some of the um, young girls, so I used to teach um, what, what in, uh, in the United Kingdom's PHSE or SRE or RSE, they call it lots of different things, and it just means sexual and relationship education. And when I was in the classrooms with um, the 13, 14-year-olds, uh, some of the activities they'd be doing, they'd be writing down um, little acronyms. And obviously I'm saying, I know what website that's from and you're not old enough <laughs> to watch that. So where, where is this coming in? And then the language that would appear in the room would be um, along the lines of girls were expected to um, have anal sex. They were expected to um, 
performed something that, uh, um, over here. I'm, I'm not sure if it's the same across pornography sites because I don't really go frequenting them. Something called gagging, which is, yeah. which is where a, a girl is actually choked to the point that she vomits. And it's almost like, um, and that becomes the, the, the level at which they're expected to perform sexually with their partners. And I'm, I'm finding that I'm having conversations with young girls saying, okay, where, where did this come from? You know, how did, how did this come about to be a normal part of your sexual relationship as a young adolescent? So do, do you have any kind of um, predictions or, or what, what, what are you finding in the research that's, that's highlighting any of this behavior at all? Yeah, the research is a little bit sticky because it's behind the times. Uh, a couple mm. of years ago, a UK study came out, and, and the researcher kept seeing anal sex come up in young people. So she decided to do a bunch <laughs> of interviews, and she found that not only had anal sex increased tremendously among probably, I think it was 16 to 21-year-olds, and maybe it was 18 to 21-year-olds. But, but anyhow, the uh, what they found was that both the male and the female uh, were expecting to do anal sex, yet neither of them enjoyed it, and the males were very coercive about it. And of course, what was the reason? It was porn use. Yeah. So yes, we're going to see more injuries and maybe more sexually transmitted diseases you know, via anal sex, but here's what's happening simultaneously and why it's hard to get a grip on it. So while you have those that are having sex, uh, maybe doing more anal sex, maybe doing more gagging. You also have a decrease, a decline in adolescents and people in their 20s having sex. So there's been a drop in those being sexually active. There's a drop in teenage pregnancies, and there's a tremendous increase in erectile dysfunction rates among males in that same age group. So mm -hmm. what you're having is one group that is sexually active maybe practicing some of this, but then you have a growing large group that are inactive and would rather engage with internet porn than with a real person. Okay, and do, do you have any kind of um, explanation for that? What, what would be your thinking around it? Yeah, so there's two things going on. It's it's porn. I mean, they've trained their brain. So let's stick with young men because that's where the most of the information is. They trained their brain to become aroused to uh, internet porn. So it's easier than dealing with a real person. And they maybe just mm -hmm. become addicted. They're just masturbating a couple times each day to internet porn and they just sort of get lost in it. You know, here's the deal is the men who recovered from, uh, from these sexual problems also experienced other benefits that were surprising to them, like their social anxiety went away or they became more confident. They, they wanted to socialize more. They became interested in real partners. They had more motivation. Their brain fog decreased. They felt more emotions. So it's not just affecting them at the level of their penis. It's affecting everything about them. And those type of effects will also then translate into not having relationships, not seeking out females, just staying yeah. at home. So that's what's occurring at the same time we're seeing a change in the sexual practices. Right, which again, I'm, I'm kind of thinking of the, the age range that you mentioned. So um, uh, work it, working with children and adolescents, I tend to, um, one of my go-to heroes is um, Dan Siegel. So yeah. he, he tends to talk about this, this age of adolescence and how, 
um, hyper-rational thinking occurs and risk-taking behavior. So I'm, I'm just wondering, do you think there's anything that coincides with um, the development of the brain going through adolescence and, and perhaps any behavior either side of, of that age range at all? Yeah, so first of all, we have to think of adolescence occurs in all mammals. So there's obviously uh, a reason for it. It's not just to get to adulthood. Adolescence in humans is very extended, you know, starting at puberty in terms of the brain's extended, and perhaps going to age 25 in terms of brain changes before the brain becomes uh, stable. So what occurs neurologically and behaviorally during that time? Well, neurologically, uh, the reward system becomes overactive. It's the most active it is. But it's sort of a strange thing, and Dan Siegel mentions this. Uh, what occurs is teens will have a lower baseline dopamine and a lower baseline what are called endorphins or opioids. So they're sort of bored with everything and easily dissatisfied. But at the same time, they get a bigger squirt of dopamine and opioids for anything that's novel, exciting, new, or interests them. And they're much more sensitive. Their brain is much more sensitive. It has mm -hmm. more receptors for dopamine and these other neurochemicals. So this is a period of a couple of things. First of all, you're training your brain to learn everything about sex and reproduction so you can successfully reproduce. And also what this occurs is you become much more likely to be impulsive, to explore. And in mammals, this allowed, let's say, our ape ancestors to leave their tribe and seek out new uh, sexual partners to prevent inbreeding or explore new territories for food. So it has a, a purpose, but it also can be a time when you can have the brain trained to certain sexual proclivities and yeah. the teenage yeah. brain is far more vulnerable to addiction because of the uh, less active frontal cortex and the more active reward system. Yeah, I, I'm again, uh, again, I've kind of gone off on my oh my goodness, yeah. When I'm working with some of my clients, that, that absolutely that makes sense, and 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 I can see that there's ways that I could I could work with those clients. Um, but the other the other part of my um, client base who um, access pornography are um, children and adolescents who tend to have learning difficulties or autism. Um, a lot of them have trauma backgrounds. So their, their level of risk-seeking behavior is, is slightly higher than some of the other, the other children who would come into my practice because of the way that their, their brain is already um, prepared and wired for um, further traumas. So I'm just thinking about this this big squirt of dopamine and the the, um, the way that their reward systems will actually work. Um, so I was I was having a little bit of a moment thinking about okay how does that work for that client and how does that work for that client. So um, I would suggest it works. So let's say you have someone with autism or ADHD. Mm. So they they are going to get like any uh, young person get a big reward from porn or video games. Yet socializing may not be rewarding. In fact, it may cause a drop in dopamine because there's some anxiety associated with it. So now what you have is a much larger disparity between the real world and the screen world. So that's the way yeah. I view it. Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. How interesting is this? And I know this is, that was for me, not for um, probably any of the listeners or anything. That was more how I'm, how I'm actually seeing the distinction between 
what you were talking about, the benefits for um, people who were um, kind of trying to recover from uh, the addiction. So I think one of the, the terms that you have on your website, and um, I'm sure it's in the book, is rebooting. Yes, yes. So um, uh, for, for anybody who's kind of uh, interested in going to your website, how, how would you describe what rebooting is? Well, that, that's a term that the young men came up with, mm -hmm. like rebooting your computer to a, a whole new setting. Of course, that doesn't occur. Uh, rebooting is basically stop using porn, stop using artificial sexual stimulation, and to become aroused by real people. So that's really what rebooting is. Some of the groups, some of these forums, they're very large, some of them, and some of them suggest stopping masturbating for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. But that's rebooting is really stopping using internet porn and to get your sexual arousal from real people. It's really that simple. Yeah. Is, is that the NoFap um, movement for the, the yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. So no, there's a place called Reddit NoFap, which has about 300,000 members. Uh, yeah. There's a place called NoFap.com, which is an outgrowth of it. But there's also several other uh, porn recovery sites, Reddit Porn Free, Reboot Nation, Your Brain Rebalance. In fact, there's one in China, uh, which I link to on my site, that has almost 4 million members. So even though in China, supposedly porn is banned, <laughs> they're, they're having problems with porn there. Ah, now that kind of that's driving me towards the next um, two two questions I've got really. One is um, what what we're attempting to do in this country regarding um, age verification, which I'll come to in a minute. But what what what's your take on um, these cyber robots that have been designed? So the cyber bots that are for sexual pleasure that, you know, I mean, I've been reading around um, that they're making sex bots that look like children, sex bots that you can um, uh, essentially murder and rape. And um, so what, what's your take on, on that level? Because it's not quite online, but it is still cyber, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, there was even a movie sort of done about that uh, a few years mm -hmm. ago. And yes, I, I've seen many articles about it. There's even some of the men who have described buying some of these sex robots. But really, uh, so I, I really don't know much about it. It's, it's the ultimate and creepy. I mean, we're, we're now getting into the place where we're having sex with robots or sex with dolls with all sorts mm -hmm. of bits and pieces. And that's just creepy to me, I'll be honest. Yeah, but, but the guys, uh, the reports back from the forums, they're really concerned about virtual reality porn because um, they say, oh, man, I've been using porn for a decade, but I put on the virtual reality and oh, my God, that was just so overwhelming. If I was still using porn, I would never take off my virtual reality uh, mask or whatever it's called. So yeah. that's the one I think is really going to hook a lot of people. VR. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely agreed on that. And uh, I will be talking to somebody about um, the, the VR world because uh, I don't know if you've had a go at VR for any, any kind of... Um, no, I haven't. I, okay, so I've, I've had a go at VR and I've also had a go at what they call AR, which is augmented reality, which is... Oh, yeah. Different. Yeah? But I've heard of that. I, I'm, yeah, I'm terrified about what's going to happen at the next stage because we're, we're getting into the, the area of haptic feedback and, and that will take us on a completely different tangent. Um, so oh, I'm not, yeah. not going to kind of go down <laughs> that road. But yeah, I am, yeah, I'm with you. I think it's pretty creepy in terms of um, kind of how, how we socialise. I'm just thinking human to human. There's something quite creepy about 
not it not being a real person it's almost into the fetish genre i think maybe well you know in essence i think all all porn is in essence a fetish because you're a voyeur so there's a whole difference you know people say porn's been around forever but there's a difference between 1970s i'm looking at a penthouse i'm looking at a naked woman and as a 13 year old all i can think about is what feeling her up perhaps that's it and that's enough to get me excited and to orgasm but yeah. now a 13 year old's imagination is completely replaced by the hardest of the hardcore he doesn't have imagination so in essence He's training his brain not only to become aroused by that, but he's also, as you mentioned, he's training his brain to that's how it's done because I'm watching real people do the real deal. So that's how I should do it. Yeah. You know? And then you add in VR and God only knows what's going to happen. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a funny feeling that's going to be later on this year when I actually pinpoint down uh, the people who are developing it to have a conversation with them. Um, they're a bit like um, rocking horse um, feces at the moment, trying to get hold of some of these people. But uh, I'm, I'm uh, what was I going to say then? Yeah, young children. Um, what I was thinking of, the, the question about age verification. So in this country, um, we're now going to be putting forward to have age verification for pornography sites. And um, I had a little bit of a rant about this the other week about um, that actually this is a business system, the pornography system. Uh, so what, what will happen is as quickly as we put in age verification in this country for certain websites, they will just move servers or names or, uh, and, and it feels like we're ultimately chasing, uh, chasing the tail of a, you know, like a dog chasing its tail that, I think that we're into this um, this movement now where, where pornography will always be accessible to younger children. So do you have any suggestions, ideas uh, about what, what we can do as a society rather than just, you know, um, internet providers, what, what we could do as a society? Well, I think trying age verification <coughs> there in the UK is, is an experiment we're trying because the adolescent brain, you know, is is very malleable as you know and you're pruning billions and billions of nerve connections in order to learn and so if you can reduce the amount of exposure uh for a teen to internet porn then you know let's say they get it when they're 17 18 19 that's a whole different world than starting out at age 10. as far as i'm concerned i'm not so much on regulation i'm more about education and of course that's sort of a tired uh, answer but the education that i would prefer <coughs> would be integrated with sex education in how the adolescent brain and even the pre-adolescent especially is highly malleable uh, how the reward system works how it constantly mm -hmm. seeks out what we call supernormal stimulus whether uh that supernormal stimulus means something that we haven't really encountered in evolution such as junk food there's no such thing as salt sugar and fat combined into one product before you know it was manufactured and there's yeah. no such thing as streaming internet porn watching endless people have sex more people having sex than you could meet in several lifetimes as a hunter-gatherer so i think it would be important to uh have quite a bit on the brain, the adolescent brain, its vulnerabilities, the good things about it, and of course the vulnerabilities of the reward system and how it can be hijacked by supernormal stimuli. Oh, absolutely. I, I am on the same hymn sheet as you there, Gary, and it, it's, it's quite interesting actually. In the um, 
relationships and sex education uh, when when I was involved with that we could talk about it's, it's bizarre this we could talk about everything to do with sex apart from pornography yes, even though that's a weird thing <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and this wasn't even in a school where it was religious and, you know, uh, and they, they would say, well, whatever you do, talk about the correct terminology for body parts, which I wholeheartedly agree with. And then um, what we'll do is we'll teach them about child sexual exploitation uh, after the age at which it's um, peaking and don't talk to them about pornography. So there was kind of this whole system which I, I really struggled ethically to sit sit within because it just wasn't doing the job that it was designed for. And what I did tend to do was spend a lot of time with the children talking about making it very simple, how, how their brain works, and particularly around alcohol, how different levels of the brain would get drunk, which would mean they would um, behave in different ways. So, for example, as they start to drink, the, the disinhibition would occur because they were getting drunk, and then they wouldn't remember because the hippocampus would end up, you know, and, and we'd have conversations and one of the things that, that, that I was kind of being pulled up for every two minutes was um, kind of talking to them about what they were doing online and the, the, the sites they were visiting, because obviously I could recognize the, the way that they were writing on these pages, that what they were doing was accessing inappropriate material underage. Uh, and even then, it was kind of just tell them they're not allowed to do it, Kath, and leave it at that, which I, I find a fascinating um, approach considering that actually we, we have quite a high level of peer-on-peer um, -peer sexual abuse in this country. I'm sure it's not the only country that does have it. Um, so I'm, I'm absolutely with you on the, the idea of um, what we need to do is education. Um, and in fact, the number of times I've wanted to take Dan Siegel's um, uh, The Essence of Adolescence book around and just, you know, brainstorm and just, you know, kind of whack people with it and say, this is the stuff you need to know so that you can understand why children do what they do. Right. You know, the, the two pieces that are always left out of this conversation that I noticed early on was the adolescent brain. Yep. You know, they kept talking, oh, porn's been around forever. It's like they're talking about 45-year-old men watching porn, which is a different world. Yeah. And how porn has changed both in content and it's a delivery system with tube sites and, you know, all these films of real people doing the real thing. So they just keep ignoring that. Uh, another thing I'd like to mention is Kids should be educated about the warning signs. If they are using porn, uh, uh, do they need to escalate into something else in order to become aroused? That's one of the first things for mm -hmm. young men to notice. In fact, a study from two years ago asked porn users who had just used porn in the last three months about escalation and found about 50% of them had escalated into stuff that was not previously interesting or they found repellent. So it's happening, and there's studies that support that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, th I think that's an amazing piece of information, actually. Um, one that I'm now going to probably plagiarise from you and start talking about when, when I'm uh, doing the online um, cyber sure. stuff and talking to people. Actually, um, obviously, I will, <laughs> I will cite it back to you. I'm not going to completely plagiarise it. But that's, that's a really interesting fact, actually, that how would, how would a young person know to recognise the signs in order to then speak to somebody about it or, or ask for help? Obviously, you know, we, we don't really talk, I, I'm wondering actually how well this podcast is going to go down in, in the United Kingdom because when it does come to sex content, we are pretty much taboo apart from the fact that as, uh, you know, as, as human beings, we're driven by curiosity as, as well as the, the dopamine. We're driven by curiosity. It's, it's 
one of the one of the examples I give when I'm teaching about the cyber stuff is why we do what we do online, and it's generally that moment of oh, I wonder what that is, you know. Well, that's and then, dopamine. And then, Anticipation yeah. of what's next is dopamine, and people say, oh, well, you overemphasize dopamine, but people don't realize that there's one little place called the nucleus accumbens where the amount mm -hmm. of dopamine decides whether you run away from something or you go towards it, and the amount of dopamine on certain neurons are constantly doing that. That would make sense. I mean, you have the same system in an earthworm, so you don't need many very many nerve cells in order to go, oh, I don't want that, or oh, I want to go for that. So let's say you're on Huffington Post reading an article and you get bored, your dopamine is dropping, that's boredom, and then you go, I'm going to click on this one, this one looks really interesting, it has a bunch of movie stars, and right before you click, you get a little skirt of dopamine, that's anticipation. So yes, uh, all pretty much all internet use or the curiosity of a cat is driven by dopamine. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I actually blogged on that, I think that's about 18 months, two years ago, about why, why people click on to um, particular, particular um, videos. And I think I was actually talking more about the traumatic images. So, so I have, the, um, obviously my interest is in the, the trauma side of things, about why, why people do what they do on the internet and then what happens after they've been, been traumatised by it. Um, now, you see, I made a comment earlier, and I can't remember if it was before we started recording, but I've, I've found that on your website, I tend to start clicking on lots of things because <laughs> there's a part of me that goes, oh, I need to read that. Oh, I need to. And, and instead of printing it all and sitting, it's sitting in the background, um, this used to happen when I was doing my um, degrees. I would sit and I would go on what I call um, a, a Well, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a journal tangent where you read yeah. something really yeah. interesting and... Um, I don't know if you've seen the video by Nicholas Carr that talks about um, what the internet is doing to our brains and how we end up going off on a tangent. And before you know it, you've adopted a panda and you're, you're not able to remember anything in your short-term memory because you just have this system that's constantly ping, ping, pinging onto the next thing. Well, yeah, all of us can relate to that. It's all, we all experience that all the time using the internet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, so I'm really, really rubbish at actually keeping the time on this. So I think we've done about half an hour. Um, I really do need to get a time. I said this on the last podcast. I'm <laughs> going to get a timer for this. Um, so uh, what I want to say, Gary, is thank you ever so much for your time. And you I, I could talk to you for at least another hour, two hours. Um, and actually, I think I might communicate with you a little bit more about this gaming disorder and the dopamine because... Something which I'm not bringing to the, the public domain at the minute um, is, is what I'm writing about is more to do with the attachment system and how what, what I'm actually finding on some of the behaviours is, is there's an attachment addiction overlap. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of really interested in what you might think about that. Um, okay. So is there, is there anything that you think uh, needs to be added to this conversation at this point in time? Well, yeah, I think... I. We just need to let the listener know that there's actually studies that support what we've been saying. Uh, right mm -hmm. now, there's 36 studies. I have all these are on the front page of my first page of my website. It's called Brain Studies. There's 36 neurological studies, and all of them have found the brain changes in porn users or sex addicts that mirror mm -hmm. the brain changes that occur in drug addicts. So the information's out there. The ICD, which is of course going to probably have video game addiction or video game disorder actually in the new ICD-11 is also gonna have compulsive sexual behavior disorder, which is an umbrella term for sex and porn addiction 
in it also. So this is being recognized contrary to all the media crap out there. Also, I have another page that has 25 studies that uh, link porn use and porn addiction to sexual dysfunctions. And another page that has 55 studies, all of them find that porn use is linked to poor sexual and relationship satisfaction. So there are many studies that support much of what we're talking about. In fact, there's, there's over 45 studies that link porn use to poor mental health uh, and poor cognitive function. Some of those are actual causation studies where they remove the, uh, the porn use or uh, many other types of methodology. So yeah, there's lots of support for what we're saying here. Yeah, I, yeah I've just been, another idea has popped into my head about um, the young children. Um, so this was in my book about the young children who won't actually leave their computer while they're playing a game or doing whatever it is they're doing on an evening, um, which included one young adolescent. Now, part of me thought this was the, the spark of ingenuity. He actually bought himself um, a, um, like a, a Marine's mic to go around his throat so that he could continue playing the game after his mom, after his mom and dad had told him to go to bed, so that he could whisper and not be not be heard downstairs that he was still playing on his computer. So oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, um, which you know that will bring us on to you know how people get sat in front of the the computers and and what this does to to mental health and so on and so forth. Okay. Yeah, and of course one of the biggest things we suggest, which no one even considers is to eliminate uh, porn use for a while. You know, try to give it up for 60 days and see what occurs. And so what you'll find out, if it's first hard to give up, then you may have some addiction brain changes going on. But even, uh, you don't need addiction for the negative effects of porn use, but you can maybe see how it has affected you. And, and I think that's an important thing for all adolescents to try and they'll go, well, how do I masturbate? And then go, well, you know, before the internet, there were lots of, you know, I have a whole history of males masturbating to just their imagination uh, yeah. uh, before the internet. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an almost long gone, forgotten concept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, then. So I'm going to thank you very much for your time. And sure. um, I'm going to put in the show notes where everybody can find your website, which is uh, yourbrainonporn.com. Um, so it's pretty, pretty easy to find because it's exactly what it says on the tin. Um, and and do obviously I know that you're on Twitter and so on, but if anybody wanted to contact you, ask you questions, what do, how do you prefer being contacted? Yeah, I mean, you can contact me on Twitter or if you go to my site, you can just sign up uh, with a username and then you can email me. Okay, that's absolutely wonderful. So thank you very much for your time, Gary. And... I'm going to finish here for now. You bet. Thanks a lot.